It's time for the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast presented by Sloan. I'm your host, Ryan Dempster. Today I'm joined by my good pal, Glendon Rush. That's right, the lefty. You'll find out all about that later. I've got to tell you first about Sloan's no-touch hand-washing technology. It's state-of-the-art and second to none and couldn't come at a better time. So we want to thank our sponsor, Sloan, for providing that technology to people out there so we can all wash our hands and stay safe. Now, the man of the hour, 12-year Major League veteran, pitched in places like Kansas City, even San Diego, Colorado, a great career in New York for the Mets, a little short stop in the North. That's right, we're talking about Wrigley North, Milwaukee. But a lot of you will remember him for his time right here in Chicago with the Chicago Cubs, 04, 05, 06. So let's get right down to it and go off the mound with G-Unit, the lefty, Glendon Rush. Glendon Rush, Glendon, G-Unit, how are you this morning? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I uh, just came back from washing my hands underneath the Sloan valve because I love the guys at Sloan. They're the best. Um, another plug for Sloan. Aren't they, though? Jim and Graham are the whole family are tremendous people, but they really, really are uh, great people, huge Cub fans, and uh, and huge fans of yours. I know that. Uh, did you see that the tweet the other day when Graham Allen had uh, the, the shirt, Kerry Wood would hit 34, and then on the back, the list of guys that shouldn't have a DH? <laughs> he's He's got some good stuff. I know he has a, a Glendon Frickin' Rush shirt in his arsenal, too. I absolutely love those guys. Um, they're so much fun to be around, and I love that – you know, that they've created, I think, the only loophole in all of baseball to be able to watch games. You know, they've reserved one of the rooftops at Wrigley. So, you know, unless you're a cardboard cutout in the other 29 stadiums, the only way you can get in is, is to join those guys up at one of the rooftops at Wrigley. So they, they're smart, smart fellows. You know what I love, too, is like because Jim is like on it. Right. So it's like it's high security to get up there. And then they also socially distance and they have Sloan hands-free uh, hand-washing facilities all around the building. Jim's got that on lock up there. He's like, we're six feet here and that's how it's going to be. One of my favorite things to do, and you could probably join in too, is um, I love taking pictures of Sloan valves at all the different airport toilets that I find uh, when I'm traveling around. So you could maybe add that to your, your uh, arsenal for them. Dude, it's a, I'll, sometimes I'll send them a, a random video of me doing the full gamut. I'll set my phone up and I'll just be like the hand, the soap to the water to the drying. <laughs> with, with that, like it cl- never felt cleaner as I walk out. They're the best. Yeah, man. So what are you up to these days? Dude, I heard what we were talking about it. Um, you're, you're not done playing. You know, I thought you were retired after the 09 season. I thought that was going to be it. But here we are, eleven years later, and you were playing in the uh, the men's <laughs> men's league last night. Um, how are you feeling this morning? I feel terrible. My whole body hurts. Uh, these guys in Louisville, Kentucky, roped me into joining the eighteen and over men's league this year. And you know, last year I ended up pitching in the Bluegrass World Series, which they held here. Um, I'm sure a bunch of people have seen it. They did it in Wichita a few years, and then they'd done it in Louisville the last couple of years. They didn't do it this year, obviously, because of COVID. But they got a bunch of major league guys together and joined in a kind of like a college wood bat tournament. So last year, 
I decided I was going to do that. And it took me two months to get ready to pitch one inning. That's, that's how much work it was at the age of 44. So this year at the age of 45, I decided to join all these guys in the, in the 18 and over men's league. I played catch all week with my son, Cade, haven't been on the mound in a year and went out there and threw three innings last night. And today I feel like a semi ran me over, drug me all the way to the Amazon uh, distribution plant and, and then backed over me again. Dude, it gets so hard, so much harder as we get older. Like I was like, you know, you know, as we get ready for this and this interview and I'm, I'm sitting there just, you know, touching up on my Glenn and Rush stats. And I was laughing because your, your baseball reference page said 62170 because they, they threw up our high school numbers on there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think I'm like 190 on the baseball reference page. And I was like, and then we just get older and our, like, I remember trying to throw the same way, like getting ready for the WBC and throwing. And then just like some days, like, I'm fine. This is going to be good. Like you said, you play catch and then you throw those first innings and you're like, oh God. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible how, how hard it is. I mean, you forget, you forget that we, we went through, you know, basically probably three months in the off season getting ready to go to spring training for another six, seven weeks and then go into the regular season. So now all of a sudden we're dumb enough to think that we can just play catch for four or five days and I'll be fine. But you, you forget how much your legs and your back and everything else comes into play. And it's like, yeah, my arm feels okay. I'm playing catch, you know, 50 miles an hour in the driveway with my son. But then to go out there and actually throw is, is so much more work. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, you and I, we grew up, you're a little bit, a couple years older than me, but, um, you know, we came up the same kind of era, the same time you came up in 1997. I came up in 1998. We're both from the Pacific Northwest. Um, you're from, uh, the Seattle area. Uh, you know, looking back as you've had time, like, did you ever imagine that you would be able to put 12 years in the major leagues and, you know, pitch in a world series and, um, you know, be an impactful player the way you were in the big leagues? Do you ever just kind of just sit there and go, whoa, man, holy cow. I had myself one heck of a career. I do. I love, you know, it's, it's, it's fun now that we're, I think, far enough removed where you can actually sit back and enjoy it. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know how you felt coming up through the minor leagues, but I, I remember always feeling like I was so far away from the big leagues and it was still just the ultimate dream to even make it to the big leagues. I, I don't remember ever being in, in a ball or in AAA and thinking, Oh, I'm, I'm right there. I'm going to get called up soon. Or I, that never even really crossed my mind until I actually got there. So I think, you know, I, I think that's probably a blessing to have that attitude that you, you really appreciate it. And as my career went on, you, you know, you go from being a rookie to establishing yourself and then you get traded for the first time. And then I was in a, you know, a place where we we're in contention and playoffs and everything else. And, and then you become a free agent and you get to go a couple of places that you really want to go. So it, you know, I, I was really lucky and, and stayed healthy. I think that's a huge key. Um, I know that's a, that's a battle for everybody and, and the guys that can stay healthy and throw strikes like I could, you, you can stick around a while. Yeah, dude. And like you went from Kansas city, you know, you got your feet wet there and came up as a very young guy, 22, 23 years old there. Um, and then you go to New York to play for the Mets. And like, like you said, like you guys were good. Like you, 
you know, you got over there late in 99, I believe it was. And then, and then 2000, I mean, you guys are in the world series playing on a team with guys like Mike Piazza and, you know, Robin Ventura and these guys in their, in their prime. Um, and your pitching staff was incredible Al lighter and guys like that. And that's where we first started competing against each other. Um, what, what was that like playing in, in New York? You know, I always wonder because I played, I played there as a visiting player, but a home player in New York, whether it's the, the Yankees or the Mets, what, what was New York like for you? I, I've, I don't even think I've ever even asked you that. Like it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I think I, I think I made it through that first season kind of as a, a, maybe a little bit naive and had the blinders on a little bit to how much of a pressure cooker it is and, and the media and everything else. And then by year two, coming off, you know, going to the World Series and, and having the success that we did as a team, then all of a sudden I think I felt a little more pressure that, that second year there. But when I very first got traded there in 99, yeah, I remember showing up in Colorado and walking out into that dugout, and they were just about to start the game when I got traded and and seeing, you know, Kenny Rogers, Oral Hershiser, Al Leiter, Johnny Franco, all, the, all these veteran guys that have been around forever – and, and being on the same team as them was, was incredible. I, I, I was so excited and, and I really got to watch that last three week run in 99 when they, they made it to the NLCS. I was kind of there almost as a spectator and just taking it all in. I only pitched one inning in the regular season um, for them that year that I got traded there and, and then just kind of watched the rest of it. So it was pretty amazing experience and, and uh, you know, something you never forget. I mean, you, you know how hard it is to get to the playoffs and the end of, get that experience and and you never I don't think you can ever look back on it and take it for granted I remember Kelly my wife at the time saying you know you really need to enjoy this because you never know if you'll have that opportunity again dude and you guys like in the year 2000 I mean you you know so close and playing the Yankees the Yankees Mets World Series like how cool how how what was the city like in, in, in <laughs> New York must have been going nuts with both teams in the World Series. It was. It was crazy um, everywhere you went. And, you know, even being a uh, not a superstar, um, you know, I wasn't a Piazza or an Alighter or Robin Ventura. I was I was the fifth starter in the rotation in New York. You felt like a, a rock star there in that city, the way everyone treated you, the Mets fans. And um, I'll never forget going across town in the Subway Series and seeing how many Yankees fans were lined up outside waiting to, you know, throw you some obscene gestures and yell at you and tell you how much you're going to get worn out that night. And BP at Yankee Stadium, there's nothing like it because they're absolutely wearing you out from the stands. And it's and it's a lot of fun. It's all in good fun. And, and uh, they're great at it. You know, they're some of the best. I know I know you know the, the cities that can get on you the hardest in Philly and in New York. Those, those guys are good raggers. They're quality. They, they do their homework. Dude, the right field bleachers at, at Yankee old at New Yankee Stadium. One thing at Old Yankee Stadium, there's there was nothing like that. No, <laughs> nothing like it. Yeah, you would question yourself as a human being when you'd leave there. You'd be like, "Am I really? Am I capable of of being a good person?" Oh yeah, there's times when you just almost wanted to slither out in group two instead of in group three and take it into the clubhouse. Oh my god, dude! And dude, like I remember. Uh, you guys had was that two thousand or two thousand one when you had the rain delay when Robin Ventura did did the Mike Piazza. I'm not sure. 
But uh, one of the funniest, I, I can't tell you how many times people send me that video because there's this spot where I'm on the bench uh, hanging on the rail next to Piazza watching Robin do it. And I have this smile on my face that looks like, a, you know, a 10-year-old kid on Christmas morning because I was so excited and laughing so hard watching Robin do that. I mean, to what to have him put the shoulder pads on and just the way he sauntered out to the plate, dragging his bat like Mike did. Uh, all nonchalant it was so funny that was one of the best moments i remember ever you know you talk about all those behind the scenes pranks and stuff that goes on that people don't see well a bunch of people got to see that one it was incredible i remember that exact video because i remember your face and like you know, just seeing the the pure enjoyment especially because it's robin too right like he's an everyday player so he can't like he can't get after it like with the fun stuff. He has to focus on that. So to see him kind of step out of the shell outside of the clubhouse, you know, onto the field, I think, you know, a lot of fans just were like, whoa, Robin Ventura's like this? Oh, like, man. He's by far one of the sneakiest, funny guys that there was. I, I had so much fun being around him. And, and I know, um, you know, being – being uh, teammates with him and then being friends with him down the road and he's he's the best i still get to catch up with him here and there to this day and he's he's one of my favorites and and mike you know you talked about piazza um wow i mean you want to talk about special to watch what he could do to a baseball like you could get mike out there was holes in his swing if you made those pitches but if you missed that spot there was like a really good chance that you just had to ask the umpire for a new baseball because he's going to hit it 450 feet he was special. He was so clutch and so much fun to be around. And, you know, ha had a really great sense of humor and fun personality. And him, him and I kind of bonded over uh, music and, and uh, audio. He, he, he actually helped me get a bunch of my stereo equipment um, way back in the day for my house because uh, he knew all these high-end audio guys in New York. And, and I was a huge audio buff and still am and love music. So yeah, we bonded over that and he's, he's great. What a, what a cool dude and fun to see him go into the hall of fame. And uh, man, he was, he was, uh, he was a force in the lineup. You wanted him in the lineup every single time you were, you were pitching. He was something else, man. He was, he was that guy. He was always that guy in your lineup that you, uh, that you don't let beat you. You know, he was that when we faced you guys, that was like, okay, don't let, don't, don't be an idiot in a big situation. When you're facing Piazza, just just let him take his single the other way. The only problem was he was like one of those guys that if he threw it down and away, um, that was right into his wheelhouse. So yeah, he could hit it out the other way. I'm I'm pretty sure I don't know. We'd have to look it up, but I'm I, I feel like in one of the starts when we faced each other that um, maybe the only run we got against you was maybe a solo homer that Mike hit the other way. But maybe I'm wrong. I remember throwing him a two-go changeup uh, at at pro player or Joe Robbie or whatever they called it then, <laughs> um, and I threw a two-go changeup because I thought that was a good idea. And he did like one of those typical Piazza swings where like he grimaced, like he hit it off the end of the bat, and he hit it into the upper deck and almost straight away center field. Yeah, <laughs> and it looked like he put, it looked like his swing was pulling the ball down the left field line, and he was looking down the left field line. And he grimaced and hit it out to center. It was just an abs. I remember I had a buddy who played in the NHL, a guy named Todd Simpson. After the game, he took a picture on the side of the I-95 freeway with a baseball saying, I found the ball that Piazza hit. <laughs> it was hit that far. That's great. Oh, my God, man. 
Yeah, we had a ton of fun. We competed against each other a ton in that year. I remember 2000, like I said, five times. I remember we would start against each other, and then five days later, we'd play you guys and start against each other again. Yes. So, yeah, thank you. I guess you're welcome to you and your agent. I'm sure I made made you some money down the road for going. I think you went maybe four and one out of those five. But they were close games. They were all, It was always, like, low scoring. I You had a good idea of how to pitch against our team, and I had a – good idea to pitch how to pitch against your lineup and it just it was like three to one or four to two or you know two to nothing it was they were always really low scoring games I think we had maybe one blowout in there yeah I love pitching in Florida is you know as taxing as it was and and with the humidity and everything else I still loved pitching there because you felt you felt like you were on top of the plate um you know for for my velocity whatever it is it felt like it was there and and but I'll, I'll never forget at one point there I I went real deep into a game I don't know if I finished it or went eight or something but I remember walking back in that clubhouse there and just laying on the ground you know on my back for about 15 minutes I was so wiped after that that it takes it out of you and I don't know how you guys did it being there full time but because well I guess a lot of rain uh rain outs during um batting practice too so you get some days off yeah but you had to eat a ton like you literally had to like eat and eat and eat because during a game you would lose you know five six pounds yes because sweating so much i'd go through every inning i'd go and change an undershirt change an undershirt because you'd just be sweating through that like crazy it was it was a different way to pitch it was unlike any other place just because of that humidity and now they have the closed stadium and it's uh it's a little bit better now, but man, that was, uh, you're right. It was, it was nice. You felt like you were right on top of somebody. You felt like, uh, I don't know. There was a lot of, you were, you were like warm in three pitches. It's like in the bullpen. You're like, I'm good. You know, yeah. by the time you're done with the catch, you felt like you were good. I liked how close you were to the game too. You felt, you know, that those, those dugouts were right on top of the field. And that was that same feel you had in the, um, you know, where, where you and I grew up going to games. It was the same feel you had in the kingdom. Yep. It was like you were right on top of the plate and you were and you were as close to the action as you could be. I love that. Dude, I remember my brother Travis was bat boying. He was like 19 years old and he was bat boying at, at a pro player there. And Preston Wilson did like a check swing. And Travis wasn't paying attention, shocker. And uh, it like one hopped him right in the throat. <laughs> And everybody's freaking out and he's playing it off so good. He's like, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. It's okay. And the best was he turned around to John Henry, who was the owner at the time. And Travis didn't know this. And he had the ball and there was a kid behind him. And he's like, hey, dude, can you give this to that little kid? You know, he's like barely can breathe. John Henry just like, oh, okay. Like here he's telling the owner of the team, hey, dude, you want to give this this ball to that kid? That's how close you were to the action. You had to have your head on a swivel in those dugouts because you you could get an absolute rocket into the dugout. And if you weren't paying attention, you were getting some ice on your leg or your shoulder or something. Those dugouts were tight. You, you talked about it in Piazza and the music. You love music. I love music. And when we got a chance to play together in Chicago – you were always so awesome about, hey, we're going somewhere uh, and we get in and like, hey, there's a concert. You know, there, this is going on. Uh, we got a chance. To, you know, we can grab a quick bite to eat, show meal, some comida, and away we go to a, a concert. 
you, you were awesome about that. And, and you had such connections in the music industry that we were got to just see so many great bands and, and, and musical acts play. Um, thanks for that, first of all. And, uh, you know, where did you, where did your love of music come in? Well, you're welcome. And, uh, you repay the, the favor to me now with, uh, anytime I come up to Chicago to see a show. So now you're the host and, uh, it works both <laughs> ways. So I'm glad we've, we've established that. Uh, my love for music started in growing up in Seattle and I started, I guess maybe the same way a lot of probably our own kids start. I, I started more in the hip hop genre and rap back in the day when I was in like sixth, seventh grade. And then I ventured into what you're supposed to venture into in Seattle, which is rock and, and alternative and um, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Tool and Rage Against the Machine and all those great bands uh, that, that were coming out in the in the early 90s and and just stuck with it through there. And it's such a cool, as as we found out doing what we've done and, and being involved and getting to meet so many musicians over all these years is it's such a cool connection between sports and and musicians and baseball guys and musicians. We've always, you know, everybody always says, well, baseball guys want to be musicians and musicians want to be baseball players. And, and it kind of is true. And, but, but at the same time, we have so much in common because of the travel and the road and, um, you know, going out and showing your craft in front of fans and, and dealing with people and, and everything else that goes along with it. It's so cool. And I, and I think when we sit down and talk to um, like you did with Eddie Vedder or, or some of my buddies, Tom Morello or Danny Carey from tool and, and, and all these great musicians, we just sit down and have regular conversations about everyday life and, and also what we've done and, and playing. And they love to hear our stories about what we've done in the stadiums and around the around the country and we love to hear about their tours and what goes on behind the scenes and everything else it's it's a real common bond and 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 i just love it and i I love music and um it's i I feel so blessed that's one of my favorite things that i've gotten to do over all these years is is go to so many different shows and have all these vip experiences that we get and get to meet people and talk to them about what they do it's awesome dude and we just had like you said you know you're following up Eddie on the podcast and you have one of the most unbelievable uh, Pearl Jam kind of stories with you and uh, Carrie Woods when you guys were um, at the United Center and, uh, you know, tell people, listen, just about that story. Cause I just think this is just, you know, there's moments in a concert where you're like, okay, there, there, there's a, a lull in the music here. Or there's a little bit extended like instrumental and you're kind of wondering what's going on with the singer. And I, and I always just think that this is just so incredible. Yeah. So, so Eddie was throwing out the first pitch, uh, at Wrigley and we were playing a night game. And so he, he was in the clubhouse hanging out. And of course we had tickets and passes to go to the show that night. But when it's a night game, the earliest we were going to get there is probably like 1030, you know, after a three hour game and cruise over there. And so Eddie tells Carrie and I, Hey, just get there when you get there. I'll have somebody out outside at the at the loading dock to bring you guys in, and we'll just keep playing encores. And I'm laughing like, are like, are you serious right now? You're just gonna keep playing encores. You're at the United Center in front of fifteen or twenty thousand people, and 
It's a Pearl Jam. Like this is Pearl Jam, and you guys are just gonna wait for us. This is incredible. Yeah, per, yeah, exactly. And and so, um, so we get there. Game's over. We rush over to the United Center. They they sweep us through the loading dock out onto the stage, and they're just finishing their first full regular set. And crowd's going crazy. I'm like, all right, awesome. We're here. We missed the show, right? <laughs> and, and so. So there's a cooler there with beers and everything in front of us. And so Carrie and I are standing there and the guys all went off stage and five minutes later they come back out and they ended up playing. I don't remember whether there's 10 or 11 more songs, like three encores. We get to see basically, you know, half a full show by the time we get there. And during the song black, they were playing it, it kind of goes into some instrumental stuff. And, and, and next thing you know, Eddie is walking over to us on the side of the stage and pouring wine in our, you know, red solo cups that we're standing there holding while the song's going on at the United center. And I looked at Carrie, I was like, Woody, this is the greatest day of my life. I can't tell you, you know, being a Seattle guy and love and Pearl jam and everything else, this is unbelievable. And I, I'll never forget that. It was so much fun. And, I always joke with Eddie about that when I when I see him now and and uh, you know for him it, for him it was probably like hey cool a couple of my guys are here I'm gonna go hand them some wine and and I'm playing my 241st show of the year so it's no big deal but for us and for me that was like one of the greatest music moments of my life. Yeah, that's just incredible. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Like growing up in the Pacific Northwest, and then as we've gotten to know him, you you realize that's just the kind of person he is. He's like that kind and that nice and and that thoughtful. But in that moment, I remember you telling me about that, and I'm just like, oh my god! And you know, and he's done similar things during shows. You know, we were there at Wrigley um, a couple of years ago when they were playing, and he's throwing tambourines our way and harmonicas, and you know, he's just. Uh, He's, he's having as much fun out there during a concert as we are during a baseball game. You can just see it. And it just comes from a, a great admiration that we both have for each other's craft because they're very similar. You know, you're out on the mound. You're the lead singer. Everything's on you right there. And, um, you know, it, it, pretty cool. That, that story is just unbelievable, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, that video we have of you, uh, yeah, banging the tambourine on, uh, on stage at Wrigley from a, a few years back is pretty incredible, too. Teenage Wasteland. Yes. That's what we were singing. A little, uh, little cover of The Who that night. You come to Chicago in, uh, you know, there you go, 2004. You started off. You, you knew it was going to be good after that. You're like, I got Eddie Vedder handing me wine on the stage. Uh, coming off the 03 season, you and I both showed up in, in Chicago the same year, 04. Um, you, you played such a huge, huge part of that 04 team. Um, you know, when starters would go down, you, you swung back and forth and you pitched out of the bullpen, you were hitting taters. Um, you know, what, what was that like, you know, coming over to Chicago, especially coming from the brew crew, you were at Wrigley North and then you made your way down to the real Wrigley field and, uh, and really played a huge part. And I, I know how much everybody appreciated you in, in Chicago. Well, you get, you get a taste of it when you're, when you're in Milwaukee and you, and you play the the Wrigley North Wrigley South games, what, what, what those Cubs fans are really all about. And yeah, to get a chance to come there in 2004 was awesome. And, um, you know, I'll use our, uh, our hometown Sonics reference. I was the, uh, debt left shrimp of, um, <laughs> of, of the pitching staff that year, you know, anytime that 
somebody was down, I got to fill in as a starter and it proved a lot of value for me and, and to kind of keep, keep uh, my career going and, and to be able to jump back and forth between the pen and the starting rotation was great. And I know that uh, you and I have a great story about uh, one of us being in the rotation, one of us being in the pen and, and flip-flopping uh, over a, a drink at the hotel bar. So I know we could tell that story too. <laughs> Dude, uh, um, and, you, and you got a chance to hit a few bombs. Which was which was pretty cool. You have three career homers. I'm I'm homerless in my career. It's the only reason I've ever contemplated a comeback. That and to get one hit to get over the 099 career average. Yes. You know, that's a tough one to sleep on at night. There is there is no better feeling than squaring up a ball in the big leagues and hitting a homer. I, I could I mean I I think about those three homers and tell my kids about those three homers and tell anybody in public that'll listen to me about those three homers all the time. And, and like, cause you rake like you for, for pitchers, like, you know, not like as a big league hitter, but I mean, you know, anything above 150 is a hitter as a pitcher who can hit just cause we don't hit enough. But like, I remember Oh, two with Milwaukee, like two, two ninety something like that two three hundred. you hit 300. I did. I did. I, I, I hit, um, 288 that year. I was like one hit away. I went into my last start of the year. Great matchup, by the way, too. Chuck Finley. How's that matchup left on oh left? My God. I went into my last start of the year with a chance to hit 300 if I would have got a hit and I did not. I think I finished third that year behind Mike Hampton and Jason Jennings, uh, for the, you know, for the average and, and everything as a, as a pitcher for the silver slugger. Did playing with Hamp in New York help you as a hitter, as a pitcher? I think he helped because it showed you how serious to take it. I think I think when you're young and you come up, and, and you might have gone through this too in the National League, it's like, yeah, okay, we, we have to hit now. So we've got to practice and we've got to work on our bunning and everything else. But then when you see the guys that are good at it and really take it seriously and add it as a, as a whole other part of their game – and understand that it could win you a game. And and if it wins you two more games throughout a season and you become a 12-game a winner instead of a 10-game winner, it might make you some more money the next year. I mean, there's a whole part that plays into it that I don't think you really get until you're in that in that situation. Yeah, dude. And, like, I mean, you not only you were hitting for slugging percentage that year, too, you know, it was like the spike in your average and then all of a sudden you could just see it. That's where it kind of clicked for you. Well, and at bats too, right? The more at bats you get, the more comfortable. Did you ever get any pinch hits? Did you get to pinch hit at all? I did. I did get to pinch hit a bunch of times and I got to pinch bunt a bunch of times, but I actually have, which is a crazy stat. I have a walk-off hit in the big leagues in Milwaukee. I pinch hit in like the 12th or 13th inning against the Astros with the bases loaded. This is the funniest story. And they put on the squeeze and the Astros brought Craig Biggio that was playing center. I think at the time in as the fifth infielder, right? So they had the guy like at second and, and everybody else in the infield way in and they put on the squeeze and I tried to take it with me towards the right side of the infield. And I bunted it over Jeff Kent's head into right field. <laughs> So, so it was the day after I started, I think I got shelled the day before. And, and so then I come in and I get a walk-off hit in the big leagues. Dude, that's hilarious. The walk-off 
bunt base hit over the yes. I always wondered that because like when guys are playing way in, I'm like, just bunt it over his head, you know? But, yeah, I did it. I bunted it probably 150 feet. And pinch bunting sucks. Like when you're because usually if you're pinch bunting, you're not facing like some reliever who's throwing a nice cookie cutter 86 down the middle. It's usually 96 with movement. Like I think that that that's really really hard to do sometimes. I remember having to bunt off Randy Johnson and 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 uh, Bob Boone told me that I needed to get it down after I struck out, and I just took off my batting gloves and my helmet and I just came in and I just said, "Here, Bob, you you go up and you try that then," because he's throwing tic tacs up there that are moving. <laughs> I pinch I pinch bunted at uh, Wrigley when I was with the Brewers, and you know how far the the clubhouse is or used to be on the visiting side, right? Used to go up a gauntlet and yep. like 16 flights of stairs and everything else. Well, I was on the bench, which you're not supposed to do as a starting pitcher without my spikes. I went up and pinch bunted when Joe Girardi was catching and he could hardly hold his laughter in when I walked up there. I was in slip on blue Reebok tennis shoes in a major league game <laughs> and laid a bunt down. I got it down too. That's more comfortable. See, yeah, I was, and uh, I think it was when Jerry Royster was our um, our interim manager after we got Davy Lopes fired. I'm like, well, I'm going to get Jerry Royster fired two weeks later because I just went up there in tennis shoes to bunt. Jerry Roy, dude, you you played, you got to play for a lot of really uh, good, great, and interesting managers. Like, you know, you got to play for Bake, you got to play for Bobby V in New York. You were there with the mustache, were you not? I was not there for the mustache. I wish that was it before I got traded there. Oh, I, oh, that was ninety nine. I was there for the mustache. I think we were actually playing them that game. <laughs> the mustache game happened. It's incredible. I love, I love seeing how many people on Twitter have that picture of Bobby V with the mustache as their, uh, as their um, uh, avatar. Yeah, your avatar. Yeah, um, I mean, of course, we know mine's Kenny Powers, but I mean, the Bobby V one's pretty funny. I've, I've seen that on multiple people. Um. Weird, weird times, uh, obviously, 60-game season, all this stuff, and uh, which for us would have been a ton of fun. If you told me I only had to get ready for 12 starts, um, that'd, that'd kind of be fun. Uh, only 11 more for you after last night. I'm going to tell you right now, if I was in a 60-game season, that would be my year to make the All-Star team because a lot of times I was good for like five starts into the year. I remember one year with the Cubs, I, was, I think I was like five and one to start the year every year going into may i was a possible all-star and then it would start tapering off <laughs> <laughs> you start looking at it hey i got a shot here hey honey um yeah we'll be going to the all-star game it's in uh it's in milwaukee this year <laughs> my, my first two starts in the big leagues in kansas city i went two and oh and you know the people in kansas city are going crazy oh we got another young left-hander who's gonna win 20 for us and then i end up winning like six <laughs> here's the next john tudor yeah away. <laughs> you know you see all these rule changes going on and uh, you know the dh and the three batter minimum and all these things anything that's been like you've been loving or interested by going on the the cardboard cutout fans the the crowd noise what is it that's been kind of making you laugh i'm honestly cool with everything you know i i was i was never a, a huge add the dh guy but that was only when i was playing that was selfish so i'm cool with it now i don't care anymore i don't i don't get to hit so i'm, I'm cool with everything i i think 
every team has done a better job as the games have gone on with how they've piped in the crowd noise. And to me, the to me the TV broadcasts sound pretty darn normal. I mean, am I wrong? No, you're right. I, I couldn't agree more. I think you know the the crowd noise. I remember opening day compared to day three. I was like, oh, that kind of sounds. It's got the hum and the feel of a little bit of yes. a game right now when you're in the stadium. So I, I agree with you. Yeah, no, I'm and I'm cool with everything. And the cardboard cutouts are awesome. By the way, I have one in Colorado. The Rockies put um, the sure? Rockies. Yeah, <laughs> I think I sent it to you. They, okay. they put they put up a bunch of old players, and somehow they they added me in there, which was a, a very nice gesture from the Rockies organization. So every time you see a left-handed hitter come up, you can in the top right-hand corner of your TV, you can kind of see me grimacing and smiling like I'm I'm excited to be at the game. See, that shows you right there that you don't have to be an all-star somewhere. You know, you go to Colorado, you pitch uh, 08, 09 there, you know, career, not not thrown at you, but a career of somewhere around five in Coors Field, which actually translates to about a two and a half um, yeah. most other places. And yeah. because you were such a good teammate and a good dude, they remember that and uh, and the way you treat people. And, and that's consensus around the league. Anybody who's ever played with you, Always talks about that. I, I just always appreciated you as a teammate. You you found a way to make it light for guys when uh, you know it needed it. Um, you know you, you could read the room very well. If all of a sudden it called for a team dinner because we were fighting with each other or not focusing on the right things, you know you were you were always so good at that, man. I re- I really appreciated that as a teammate. I just want to say thanks for that. Well, thank you, man. We yeah, you know we we uh, only knew each other from across the field early on, and then and then. In 2004, you became, which is virtually impossible to do because all, all of 2004, you were um, rehabbing your way back to get back, you know, at the end. And I, I don't know how many innings you ended up pitching um, at the end of that year, but, um, or did you pitch any innings yeah. at the end of the year? Yeah. 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 Back to the beginning of August. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, uh, that's what I thought. And, and to be a, clubhouse guy and a teammate on a team that you've never played for and you're on the DL is extremely hard to do and I mean you did that to a T I mean you were you were every bit a part of that team as as a guy that was starting every fifth day or a guy that was closing and when you were on the DL getting ready to pitch so that was it was awesome and man we had some fun times that year and yeah such a great group of guys and a mixture of veterans and youngsters and and Wiley veterans and Greg Maddox and all across the board, man, we were lucky to, we were lucky to be uh, a part of that team and a, and a part of being friends. I, I don't know how many countless friends we have off that team, right. They're still to this day. Yeah, you're exactly right. The, the bond, you know, we walked into, you know, fresh off of 03. Um, I, I said, you know, coming to that team, I felt like, Oh, this is what George Harrison felt like. Like, you know, you remember being the fourth member of the Beatles now it's like, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty special. And then those bonds, you know, the guys like Moises and, um, you know, Baco and, you know, you just keep going down the list of, of guys in the team, obviously Woody and Pryor. And it's cool that we have, you know, maintain those friendships and bake, man. Remember, remember the meeting that Dusty had? Can we talk about that for a sec? And, and, and you've said something about this before when he, when he quoted, he quoted two people, in a meeting, it was too short and somebody else. It was like a, like a <laughs> you remember this? Yeah. 
I, I can't remember who the other one was. Who was the other? I want like Aristotle. It was like <laughs> it was like a, an influential, you know. And Bake had the way of doing that. He wanted to, you know, make sure he appealed to the whole room in case anybody was reading any kind of like 18th century literature and also listening to Too Short. <laughs> and, yeah, Bake was incredible. He, I always said, you know, out of all the managers I ever had, he probably cared about you as much as a human being than than any of them more than a baseball player oh he there's no doubt that guy is just i mean he's as good as it gets and and um i still to this day get defensive like a little kid when i when i read something on on twitter or or somewhere where somebody makes a comment about bake and and you know it because he cares about us so much and man i got a call from him probably Three, four weeks ago, I was outside mowing my lawn and my phone rings and it was Bake. And he just called me to say, hey, gee, what's up, man? And, and you know, you've been texting me and we've text back and forth, but I just felt like I had to call you. And we were just chatting. He was going fishing uh, with his son, Darren. And, and that's the kind of guy he is and would bring food in the clubhouse for everybody and come by and say hi to you at the hotel bar at night if we were in there having a drink after a game. And I mean, that guy is just the best. And there's no better um, manager I think that could have come in and handled what he has to handle in Houston this year. So I, I'm, I'm glad to see him there and, and uh, doing a good job. And he's, he's so much fun. He took good care of me. He always cared about me the same way, always keeping in touch with him. And um, you know, I, I just love like, you know, the food thing, it's so simple, right? Like he would bring in some food from a, a restaurant he loved, but it was always about, you got to have your nourishment. You got to eat good food to go out there and play well. And that's what I meant. Like he cared about you to make sure you were at your best. And um, he's the only manager I ever had called me into his office and said, what are your incentives? Let's try and make those. Yes. And I, and I was like, Whoa, I mean, he's trying to put bread in my pocket, not just on my table, you know? And I was just like, this, this man is something else. And I, I get the same way, you know, when people talk smack, I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on here. You know? That's Dusty Baker you're talking about. And, yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, I'm, I'm so happy for him that he's got a chance to manage again and, and be back and, and back in the big leagues. And then you remember, then you, but then you remember it's Twitter and everybody talks smack about everybody. <laughs> Wait, no you matter. don't go to Twitter to get positive news? No way. Yeah. I had a guy tell me, I had like a, like a 20 year old college kid the other day on Twitter tell me, um, uh, I only listen to people that I respect and I don't respect you. <laughs> And I said, okay, well, we've never met before. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had a fairly lengthy career pitching in the big leagues, so I probably know a little bit about pitching. But, okay, well, go move on about your day. So that's the beauty of Twitter. It is amazing to me, though. You're right. Because, like, I remember, you know, people like, you know, the, well, they don't remember. It's still happening. This, this like, velocity, 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 right? we got to have velocity. It's got to be hard. It's got to be hard. Cool. But like, there's guys out there that ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about hitting your spot. And Greg Maddox, I think he was a pretty good pitcher. Um, he did all right in his career, and he didn't throw terribly hard. He could have, especially in you know early on in his career, he could have thrown harder. But he always had a saying of never sacrifice location for velocity. And you know, here's the guy that we arguably a lot of people would argue is the the brightest pitcher to ever pitch in the history of the game, the most intelligent. And he makes a comment like that, but but that's wrong. Three hundred and sixty something wins in the big leagues. That guy's wrong. 
but you know, the random dude on Twitter who is going to put that out there is right. So yeah, you, I couldn't agree with you more, but that's like you said, that's Twitter and that's what we get sometimes when we get out there and everybody's got an opinion. And they're all entitled to it. We just don't have to listen to it. That's our new world. I guess we can be thankful that we didn't have to pitch while uh, Twitter existed. So now we can just have fun on it and be lighthearted and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, one guy I did have a, a question about. You did you, you play with Ricky Henderson, correct? I played with Ricky Henderson, and it was an absolute joy. I I love Ricky Henderson. Um, yes, it was it was the best. And pe- people, he always got this rap because of you know. I don't know if being aloof is the right word. Like, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't worried about the, the small details of life. He was worried about the small details of baseball. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't speak saying he didn't worry about the small details of life. I'm sure he did. But when it came to like everyday things, there's always these rookie, rookie, uh, Ricky, Ricky stories. Easy for me to say, you know, him referring to himself in the third person, Al Leiter talking about how he wanted to check out and make sure he paid all his accidentals or, you know, the, the bus ride with Jody Davis or Jody Reed saying, kick one of the rookies out. You got tenure around here. And Ricky's like, I don't got tenure. I got 15 year. I know you got one in there, you know, and it's okay. Cause you know, the guy's a hall of famer and he, you can't have the best of both worlds. You can't be the best leadoff hitter in the history of the game and not be able to take a little bit of ragging from an ex teammate. You have an, a, a good Henderson story for us. I've got a great one. One of my favorites. I tell everybody this story. I was a youngster there in New York, obviously. I was only around Ricky for a few weeks in 99 and and then came to spring training in 2000. And we were probably a month or so into the season in 2000. And I would always sit next to Pat Mahomes uh, on the on the bus. And, and because I was – it was my third year in the big leagues, but I was still young enough on that team to be doubling up. So I get on the bus and – we're probably about, you know, six, seven rows back and Ricky's in the front seat where the manager would sit. And we're, we just got off a flight and, and Pat's like, watch this, watch this. And he turns the, the dome light on above me. So it's shining on me. He's like, Ricky, hey, Ricky, who is this? And Ricky turns around and looks back. And he doesn't say anything. He, he, he turns back around, looks towards the front of the bus. And Pat's like, Ricky, Ricky, who is this? He turns around again and goes, you know who that is? It's Lefty. <laughs> so, so he was, you know, he was famous for um, not knowing exactly anybody's name half the time. But, but the fact that he knew I was Lefty, I was like, man, I've made it. I'm, I'm one of the guys because Ricky Henderson's calling me Lefty, and uh, I'll never forget telling Charlie Steiner, you know, ex ESPN uh, analyst and and uh, now Dodgers uh, radio announcer that story and still to this day, if I ever run across Charlie Steiner anywhere, he always says, "Hey, what's up, Lefty?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Ricky was awesome. I used to ride. I I, I would take a cab uh, almost every day on the road to the ballpark with Ricky Henderson and Pat Mahomes. And wow. it was constant entertainment. I mean, I would laugh every single day watching Ricky avoid the people to sign autographs and tell him Ricky's not signing today. Ricky doesn't sign today. It was, the, I mean, there's nobody better. What a great character he was. Oh, dude, he, he just, the, I never had a chance to play. And, you know, and kind, man. I remember picking his brain about base stealing one time. He was so great. It was in our weight room at the old clubhouse um, when the old weight room 
that tiny little room there. And he was a, a coach for the, for the Mets. He was a first base coach and, uh, he, uh, he was sitting there and he, um, I just went up and I just said, I'm going to ask him, I want to know about base running. And I said, Hey, you know, can I talk to you about, you know, stealing bases and holding runners. And he gave this really like awesome, like tutorial about holding the ball and, and, you know, you got to do this. You got to change your looks. You got to slide step. Otherwise, you know, you're going to just get bases stolen on you. And then at the very end of it all, he just looked at me and said, but hey, I got to tell you, you ain't got no chance of holding Ricky on first. <laughs> and I said, still like to this day right now. And he said, yep. Still to this day. <laughs> I believe it too. That, you know, that was one of my favorite. Um, I love when MLB network does the, specials on guys the one on ricky was one of my favorites because there's just so much he was such a complete player you know with speed and power and dynamic uh and and being an oakland guy and and they just i mean everything about him was so much fun to watch and there was no short of um shortage of of confidence in in ricky's game well, they could do a special on you, unit. You, uh, you're an awesome teammate, a great friend, man. And uh, you know, you had one heck of a career in the major leagues. You know, from a, a kid, and small kid in the Pacific Northwest, to doing some some awesome things on a baseball field, having some big moments, and and you know, more importantly, dude, you you treat everybody with respect all the time, and it shows your your friends around the league that that you played with, that um, and, and people in life, man. It's it's been awesome to. To become a friend of yours, stay a friend of yours, and, and I'm happy for all the success that you have had, man. It's really incredible. Same to you, Demp. I love it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm here anytime and enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, folks. We just went off the mound with the left-hander. That's right. That's lefty. Glendon Rush right there. I mean, never short of a good time, a great story. Uh, what a what a really, really good career Glendon had. Um one of the best teammates I've ever had. And that would be said by plenty of guys who ever had a chance to put a uniform on and be in the same locker with them. Always a glue to a locker room, a great guy would do anything to help his team win. And, uh, and you couldn't ask more for that. I'm glad we're still great friends to this day. So it was great to talk to Glennon Rush. To hear more conversations like this one you just heard, please download and subscribe to the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And it's all presented by our good friends at Sloan. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you later.